This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Now, the message today and this evening is the mystery and the miracle of Israel. And uh, part one this morning is the people and the land. And uh, I'll tell you about part two a bit later on tonight. Now, I don't know what your worldview is, uh, particularly regarding Israel. But unless you're getting it from Scripture, unless you're seeing it from the Word of God, you're either going to get a non-godly view or uh, a media view of this state of Israel, none of which is good you're going to have to get the scriptural worldview of Israel. You say, well, why is that important to me? It's important to every single believer. Uh, God has got a plan for Israel, and we're included in that plan with Israel. And so we need to know from scripture what it is about and how we fit into all of that plan that God has got for us. And so as far as this world's Leaders are concerned. Uh, Israel really is an enigma. It's a puzzle. It's a mystery. It seems to be almost an unsolvable problem. How many presidents, how many prime ministers, how many world leaders has got involved in the Middle East to try to solve the Israeli-Palestinian problem? And they haven't been able to do it yet. It's a very, very difficult, it's intractable In fact, just when you think that it's solved, suddenly, overnight, it just flares up again, and it's right back to square one. And so, why should such a a tiny little nation as Israel, why should they invoke such hostility and hatred and persecution? Uh, Why should that happen to them? Right now, this little strip of land in the Middle East is the subject of much contention. It's the most fought over little bit of land on planet Earth. And it is surrounded by Arab and Muslim nations. And on the map, it gives you a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, The shaded area is the Arab and Muslim nations, or some of them, perhaps, if they're not totally Muslim, uh, that they have got jihadists in their midst who are trying to make it a Muslim nation. And Israel is right there in the midst of all of that there. That's what they're up against. I'm sorry these maps are not... T- it's very hard to get really sharp maps of the internet, it really is. But that's, that's where it is, right there. And look at all of those nations surrounding them. And most of them are hostile to Israel. Several of them actually want to annihilate Israel. Uh, and, and has sworn to do that. That's what their plan is. And uh, Iran and its proxy terrorist organization, Hezbollah, uh, who's on the northern border uh, with Israel, uh, they have publicly announced several times that their objective is to destroy the land of Israel and its peoples. And right now it's reported that they have 100,000 rockets that they can launch against Israel at a moment's notice. So no wonder Israel is continually almost on a war footing 
continually. And some of these rockets they're racking are so advanced now that they can actually get as far as Tel Aviv. Used to be just on the northern border, but now they're getting more advanced and they're being supplied uh, by different countries with these rockets. And so this little strip of land is contentious. Not only are Israel's enemies surrounding it, but their enemies are within the land itself. Uh, the West Bank, if I can show you this map here, obviously uh, this is Israel here. This part here, the West Bank, is where most of the trouble is right now. Here's Gaza, this little strip here that just is in the southern border here with, with Egypt. This is Gaza, and this is where the tunnels are being made uh, to fire rockets into Israel. And, uh, and so even within the land itself, there are people who want to destroy it and who want to kill as many Jews as they possibly can. And so Hamas, which is recognized as a terrorist organization, Hamas practically governs Gaza and, uh, with an iron fist. And uh, they have a, a, an inbred hatred, a real venomous hatred against Israel and Israelis and Jews. And so their objective is to destroy and to take over the whole land. Now, the Palestinian, uh, the PLO, which was the Palestinian Libera Liberation Organization, uh, whenever it began with Yasser Arafat, uh, they were very, very, they were the, the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations. And again, their objective was to destroy uh, the state of Israel. And so Israel right now is living and within its borders, there are organizations, terrorist organizations within its borders, whose only objective is, is to destroy the state of Israel and to take it over and to make it a, a Muslim Arab nation. That's what their objective is. So why should just 6.5 million Jews living in Israel, why should they take the blame for all the troubles of 250 million Arabs that surround them? Because that's what the world does puts the blame completely and totally upon Israel. It's always Israel that has to make the concessions, always. And that's the state that we're in today. Now, current Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, said, if the Arab put down their weapons today, there would be no more war. But if Israel put down her weapons, there would be no more Israel. And that's a very powerful, truthful statement. That's the condition that they're in. Golda Meir, who was the former prime minister, said, we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. We cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. We'll only have peace with the Arabs when they love their children more than they hate us. And that's a tragedy, isn't it? It's an awful situation. And so that's where we are today right now uh, in Israel. Now, I would say mystery, but also miracle. Because no other nation has such an incredible history, going back thousands of years. No other nation has a capital that has been their capital for 3,000 years. And so there's a long, long history with Israel. No other nation has endured 2,000 years of being scattered among the nations and then coming back again to form a nation again, once again, and not only that, to make it one of the most prosperous 
places for citizens to live in all of the Middle East. Israeli citizens are far better off than all of the Middle Eastern countries with all of their billions in oil and all the rest of it. Uh, it made the desert bloom as a rose and so forth. So it's a, it's, a, it's a tremendous miracle. It's the only democracy in all of the Middle East. In fact, Arabs can be in the Knesset to be in their government. They can stand up and denounce Israel in their own Knesset. No other place in the Middle East could anyone get up and denounce the government of that nation. They'd be beheaded right away. And so it's a miracle. There are only two peoples that have a covenant that God has made with them. Israel and the church. And both of them are everlasting covenants. No other nation on earth did God ever make a covenant with, only Israel. No other people did he ever make a covenant with, only the church. And both of them are everlasting. And so, we need to pay attention to what God is doing in Israel. Now, whenever we were at the conference there in Jerusalem in, in January, Gary and I, I forget who it was that said it. He may remind me later, but uh, one of the speakers said this, and it stuck with me. He said that we should not look at Israel, we should look at Israel realistically, not romantically. And there's a tendency of believers, once we understand God's purposes for Israel, that we tend then to look at them romantically rather than realistically. In other words, Israel as a nation, Israelis as people, Jews as people, are not perfect. The government they run is not perfect. The army is not perfect. They will make mistakes. They had make mistakes. They're going to make mistakes because they're an imperfect government and an imperfect army of people. But given the situation that they face continually, uh, then you can understand with the hostility and the onslaught of other nations against them. And around the world, the many nations have, have come a, a against them. They are an incredible, resilient people. Winston Churchill said, No thoughtful man can deny the fact that the Jews are, beyond any question, the most formidable and the most remarkable race which has appeared in the world. Now, Israel has been conquered many, many times. It has suffered captivity and exile on several occasions. Remember whenever they were uh, in captivity in Egypt for over 400 years, not that they were taken into captivity. Remember how Joseph, uh, how Joseph and that particular Pharaoh at that time, how they invited uh, Joseph's family to come and to live in the land of Goshen, and how they stayed there and they multiplied and they prospered. And it got to such a stage where a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph was, rose up and he was frightened of them and felt they were a threat to his country and how he kept them captives and they stayed like that for 400 years. And then Assyria, they took the ten northern tribes into captivity in 720 B.C. Twice they have gone into exile. The first time was under the Babylonian Empire with Nebuchadnezzar in 587 B.C. You remember that lasted for 70 years. And then how the, the Medo-Persians then uh, allowed them to come back and to start to rebuild Jerusalem and so forth. And you remember that Solomon's temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and by the Babylonians, sometimes called the Chaldeans in Scripture. And from this time onwards, since that particular captivity, the region has been ruled by 
and controlled by a succession of superpowers such as the Babylon and Persia and Greece and, and Rome and the Byzantine empires and the Islamic and the Christian Crusades and the Ottoman Empire. And even from 1917 to 1948, even the British, even the British ruled over them in that area. And then the second time they were exiled was in AD 70 when Titus the Roman slew thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews and took hundreds of thousands captive. Anybody who's ever visited the Colosseum in Rome, you'll know that it was built by 50,000 Jewish slaves. And so in that particular uh, exile, that was the last one. And uh, also... Solomon's temple uh, was destroyed there too. Uh, sorry, Herod's temple was destroyed there as well. That was the second temple, as it was called. So for the next 2,000 years after AD 70, the Jews were exiled and they were scattered amongst the nations. You remember Ezekiel's prophecy about the dry bones who were buried in the graveyards of the nations, but God would bring them back together again. And so no nation in history has ever suffered such calamities as this and ever survived them. And all the empires we've just mentioned that oppressed them, all have disappeared. All of them into the dustbin of history. <coughs> but Israel still marches on. Hallelujah. Now on the 14th of May, 1948, two days before my birthday, 68 years ago, Israel came back as a nation again in one day. In one day, they became a recognized state, the state of Israel. And in those 68 years that has passed coming next month, she has made the desert to bloom as a rose. She is the most formidable army in all of the Middle East, one of the best in the world. Israel is a world leader in technology and invention. It's the number one place in the world for startup companies. There's more startup companies in Israel than any nation on the face of the earth. It is more Nobel, Peace, Nobel Prize winners than anywhere else in the world. And since 1948, three million people has come back to Israel. Can you imagine such a tiny country? Now, today we talk about the refugee problem in Europe, and many European countries are closing their borders, are putting barbed wire up because they say we can't take in any more uh, immigrants. Can you imagine such a tiny little nation as Israel taking in three million? And they're still coming in, even to this very day. And yet they have managed. So all of this in spite of having four wars with their surrounding Arab and Muslim nations. From the very moment Israel was declared a state on the 14th of May 1948, from that very moment, five Arab nations that surrounded them were determined to wipe them of the face of the earth. And the very next day, the 15th of May, those five surrounding Arab nations attacked Israel with great venom. And because Israel was just a state, and because it doesn't, didn't have the army that it has today, I mean, it was a very, very difficult, very, very difficult time for the war raged for several months. And during that time, Jordan captured the eastern part of Jerusalem and Israel, this historic heartland, which is Judea and Samaria. Uh, that's what we call the West Bank today. 
And whenever the Jordanians captured that, they expelled and killed the Jews in the territory that they conquered. In fact, they desecrated almost all of the, the Jewish holy sites. Even their very graves they desecrated, uh, des uh, desecrated in that area. And the sovereignty over the territory was not recognized by any other nation other than Britain and Pakistan. In Egypt, they claimed sovereignty over the Gaza Strip. And so, right from the very start, their territory, Israel's territory, was already being reduced from what it was the, day bef the months before that happened. And then in 1956, there was the Sinai War. The Sinai War was caused because President Nasser of Egypt decided that if he couldn't beat them militarily, he would try to beat them another way, and that was through oil. And so he closed the Suez Canal and other straits where ships would come into Israel, all to try to, to starve Israel and try to strangle Israel's economic uh, rise. It wasn't successful because Israel took them to task and fought them and won the battle again. And then in January 1964, the PLO, the Palestinian Liberal Organization, was formed by President Nasser again of Egypt, who was, <laughs> whose rampant hatred against him, uh, he constantly tried to do something uh, to, to destroy them. And so a charter was drawn up with the whole idea of liberating all of Palestine, which is Israel, and to liquidate the Jewish state. And Egyptian-born Yasser Arafat, he becomes a PLO leader and embarks on a campaign of sheer terrorism and murder and mayhem in order to destroy anything that was Israeli. Some of you may be old enough to remember in 1972, uh, uh, I think it was, at the Munich Olympic Games, and how a group split off from PLO called Black September. Uh, they captured the, the Israeli Olympic team and they murdered 11 of them. And that's how much hatred was, uh, was there. But the PLO eventually, eventually in 1993, they finally recognized Israel's right to exist. Finally, after all those years. And they signed an agreement in order to stop uh, any attacks against them. And whenever they did that, that's when the PLO began to lose their power base. Uh, because the Arab nations around them didn't want that to happen, and certainly other uh, groups within Israel didn't want that to happen. But then in June 1967, I know this sounds like a little history lesson, but you've got to understand where all this is coming from and where it's leading to. In June 1967, we had what was called the Six-Day War. Again, President Nasser of Egypt wanted to strike Israel in a war of annihilation. He said, let's drive them into the sea. And he got Syria in the north, and he got Jordan in the east to come against Israel. But this time, 19 years since their inception, this time Israel is much stronger militarily than they ever were before. And so even though they were tremendously outgunned, and even though they their armies was very small compared to these three nations. But what Israel did had the preemptive strike. Once they knew this was going to happen, what they did was they destroyed Nasser's air force 
As, as, as their warplanes sat on the apron at the airports, they destroyed the Jordanians' air force, they destroyed the Syrians' air force, so now they had superior air power. Even though with guns and tanks and cannons and bombs, they were still outgunned, but at least they had superior air power. And in six days, in six days, they defeated those three Arab nations. Military uh, analysts today uh, still use the Six-Day War as the greatest military operation, the greatest victory in military operation in the history of mankind. And, and many believe, and many Israelis believe that God backed them and God got involved. There were such things happened that could not be explained militarily, but God got them. There was a situation one time where they had to go through this desert and they knew that the Arabs had absolutely made so many landmines that it was almost impossible to get through. But overnight, a great wind, a great storm blew up and blew the sand off the landmines and they could see them. I mean, there's just so many things happened that just seemed that God was involved. Now, during that war, the Israelis recaptured various parts. They captured the Golan Heights, the Sinai Peninsula, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount, the most holiest site to the Jewish people. And several years later, the Golan Heights in the eastern part of Jerusalem was formally annexed to Israel. And so these are the territories today that are called the Occupied Territories. So when you hear them talking about the occupied territories, Israel has occupied these territories. Understand that they had to win this back that was taken from them since their inception as a state. They had to win this back again. So now they're called the occupiers, even though for years they weren't occupying it. It was their land, but it was taken from them, but they had to win it back through war. September 1967, the Arab nations met in Khartoum in Sudan for a conference. And in the United Front, they declared that there would be no more, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel, and no peace with Israel. And since then, only two nations made a treaty with Israel, Egypt and Jordan. And Egypt today is not the country that it was. The man who made the treaty with Israel and Egypt, Anwar Sadat, was assassinated. And Egypt today is a fermenting, boiling pot of Islamists. Uh, you, you don't know who's ruling in Egypt today. It's just a mess. And of course, they want to destroy Israel as usual. And in October 1973, the Yom Kippur War, this is again when Egypt and Syria attack Israel on the holiest day of the year, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, knowing full well, knowing that that was their most holy day, knowing that's when they'd be their weakest, knowing that's when they'd be least prepared. And they weren't least prepared. They were taken by complete surprise. And it nearly destroyed Israel. But they fought on. And they fought so hard. And they won that war also. In fact, not only did they win the war, they got so close to, <laughs> they got so close to Damascus in the north and Syria, they could fire their guns into it if they wanted. They got so close in the south to Cairo and Egypt, they could have fired their guns into it. That's how much they had been winning the battle. And then in 1980, the 30th of July, the Knesset, Israeli parliament, they passed a law that Jerusalem will be the eternal an indivisible capital of Israel, as it had been for 3,000 years, by the way. 
But as soon as they did that, the PLO and the Arab nations reacted with a threat to other nations that would support them. And they threatened them with oil embargo. If you support Israel in this, we will cut off your oil. Now, some of you are too young to remember the great stick that the Arabs had with oil in the Middle East. The whole world was held to ransom. And so what happened at that time, all of the nation's embassies that were in Jerusalem transferred to Tel Aviv. And they're still there to this day. The only embassy in Jerusalem today is the ICEJ, the International Christian Embassy of Jerusalem. Now, it's not a diplomatic embassy. It's not a political embassy. It's a Christian embassy. And it's the only one that's still there to this day. And believe me, the Knesset and the the Israeli politicians are glad because it shows how Christians of all people, because Christians hasn't a very good history with the Jewish people. We'll talk about that later on at some point. But of all people, the Christians are the ones who stood with them and there are of need. And in December 1987, the first Palestinian intifada, intifada means uprising. Then 2000, 2002, there was more intifadas. And today, today it's continuing with stabbings, random stabbings. You see it on the news all the time. People walking up behind Israelis and just stabbing them in the back or in the neck or wherever they can. And uh, such is a desire to destroy Jews and Israelis. But in spite of all of this, in spite of all of those wars, in spite of the fact that Israel beat them every single time and took land, in spite of all of that, Israel, in order to make peace with its neighbors and those factions within its country, they gave land back again. These are the land for peace deals that America and Britain and France and all these nations, Germany, all wanted and insisted that Israel make, and still insisting to this day. But every piece of land they ever gave back, it didn't satisfy them because the Arabs and the Muslims want all of the land. It doesn't matter. If they had only 1%, they would still want that as well. And so all these land for peace deals that are being made today do not work and will not work simply because they want all of the land. Now the next thing... I want to share with you is the miracle of Aliyah. Aliyah, the greatest exodus since the exodus. What does Aliyah mean? It means going up, ascending, going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a height, going up, ascending to Jerusalem. And so from nations all around the world, Aliyah has been happening. Three million has made Aliyah to Israel. And it is literally continuing, even as I speak to you right now, there are thousands of people all over the world, Jews, who are making plans for Aliyah who are getting their passports and their visas, who are selling their homes and their businesses, and who want to go back to Israel. There's over a million Russian-speaking Jews has gone back to Israel. Now listen, this is a miracle in our day. 
This is prophecy coming true before our very eyes. This is not just something historic. This is something prophetic that has taken place even as we speak today. But why would Jews want to go to a country that is continually threatened with annihilation and destruction? Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to have to learn a new language like those Russian Jews and millions of the world? Sweden is one of the most anti-Semitic countries today. Hungary is highly anti-Semitic. Neo-Nazism is rising up again in Germany. France is a very dangerous place for Jews to live. I read in the paper yesterday that the Labour Party, the British Labour Party, is riddled with anti-Semitic people. <laughs> riddled with it. Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party, has got a major problem on his hands. Now, they remember that during the last war, that in all the nations of Europe, nobody lifted a hand to help them. In fact, the opposite. Most of them delivered the Jews to the Nazis for destruction. And they had nowhere to go. Where would they go to? Even some who tried to get in boats, get back to Israel, the British turned them back. The British turned them back. Wouldn't let them disembark. So where would they go to? The only place they possibly could feel safe now is the land of Israel because they know they can be defended because Israel has got a formidable army to defend them now. And so they're going back for their own safety. They're going back. But there's a bigger and there's a greater reason for it. And the bigger and greater reason is because God has ordained it. And here's the truth. Most of them would have not gone back, would not go back, or would have not gone back except God ordained it. And because they're being persecuted, and because they're being hounded, otherwise they'd have been comfortable in the lands they were in and wouldn't have been thinking about going back. But now their nest is being torn up, and now they're going back to Israel. Why? Because God ordained it thousands of years ago. God ordained it. Let me give you some scriptures to show you that. <coughs> Genesis 17, verse 78. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger in all the land of Cana as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Psalm 105, 8 and 11. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel an everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Cana as the allotment for your inheritance. God has not rejected or forgotten his Jewish people. Jeremiah 33, 23 to 26, and the NIV says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not noticed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two kingdoms he chose? And so they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. This is what the Lord says. 
If I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed laws of heaven and earth, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David my servant and will not choose one of the sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. So in other words, <laughs> to God to break his promise to them, he'd have to destroy the fixed laws of the universe that he put in place. So he says, I won't do that. In Romans 1, verse 2, 1, 2, and 29, the NIV, Paul says, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Hallelujah. Now, the reason why Paul wrote that, and we'll not get to this today, but the reason why Paul wrote that is because there's lots of people in the church who believe in replacement theology. In other words, Israel, the Jews, has been replaced by the church, that God has no more plans or purposes or affections for the Jewish people. They're totally replaced by the church. And Paul's trying to address that in the book of Romans. And that's why he says, I asked them, did God reject his people? By no means. No, he hasn't. He's still got a plan and a future for them, uh, which we'll find out as we go on. And then, what God scatters, he regathers. Jeremiah 31 and 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. God will regather and restore his people to the land of Israel. Isaiah 43, 5 and 6. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east. I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. The most northerly country to Israel that had the greatest concentration of Jews was Russia. And for years, they would not give them up. They were called refuseniks, would not give them visas. But then when Perestroika came, when the openness came, under Gorbachev and so forth, then the floodgates were opened. And that's why over a million now has come back. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Jeremiah 23, 7, 8, and 3, 7, and 8. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their foals and they shall be fruitful and increase. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say as the Lord lives who brought, us, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them and they shall dwell in their own land. Jeremiah 32, 37 to 41. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in my great wrath. The reason why they were in other countries and the reason why they're taken into captivity and exile is because of their idolatry, because of their rebellion against God, and because God had to chastise them. But his promise was, I'll bring you back. I'll not keep my anger forever. I'll bring you back. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They're not dwelling safely yet but he will cause that. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me 
Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Note this here. The Gentiles will help. Isaiah 49, 22 in the NIV. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will back into the Gentiles. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Folks, this is prophecy being fulfilled right now. After three and a half thousand years, we're living in the generation that are seeing this. That should cause us to rejoice that God is still on his throne. And no matter how long it takes, his promises will never fail. His word cannot be broken. And what's happening today, it's the like of the ICEJ, it's the like of Operation Exodus, another great Christian organization. These and others, they're the ones, by and large, who's making Aliyah happen for the Jewish people around the world and are paying to get their visas and paying for their flights and paying for their food and getting them back to Israel again. It's the Christians, it's the Gentiles who are doing that today. And God, 700 years before Christ, so there's 2,700 years. I had to wait for that to happen. And it's happening right now as we speak. Jeremiah 31, 7 and 8. For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout aloud for the chief of the nations. Proclaim and give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them forth from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth and among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. And a great throng has returned there. And what a difference it's making to the nation. ICEJ, International Christian Embassy of Jerusalem, in uh, Haifa, I believe it is, they have set up these, they have bought several big houses, and they've set them up particularly for the Holocaust survivors, because there's still a number of Holocaust survivors around the world, and they bring them there, and they're really old now, and many of them infirm and lame, and they bring them, and they put them in in safety into a beautiful new home for them at no cost whatsoever. In the land, this is important. In the land, they will receive a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you from all countries, and bring you into your own land. That's what's happening right now. But notice this. What's happening right now is in the natural. They're coming back. They're not believers. They haven't accepted Christ as as Yeshua, the Messiah. They're coming back, many of them. You know, Israel's a, a secular nation. It's a secular nation. There are many, many, many Israelites today, Israelis, I should say, Israelis, who do not even believe in God. They're culturally Jews, but they do not even believe in God. So something needs to change. But God has to get them back to the land. That's what the prophecies were, to get them back to the land first. And then what happens? 
Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So two things were going to happen. God would physically bring them back to the land first. And then he would change their heart. One day, the Bible says, all Israel shall be saved. Not yet, but one day. In 1948, there was just a handful, literally a handful of Messianic believers in Israel. Today, there are thousands. And that's before the veil has been totally lifted. But it's happening in our generation, in our day. And so whenever we say we believe that the Lord is coming back soon, you can understand why we say that. Because we're seeing these prophecies and promises being fulfilled. None will be left behind. Ezekiel 39, 28. Then they will know that I am the Lord, their God, For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. God knows where every single one of them is. Sad story we heard at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in January. The little guide, the girl, was taking us around. And we stopped at this big poster. And on it was all the countries the Nazis knew there were Jews including Ireland and numbered them knew every number of every one of them exactly how many there were and that's who they were going after no matter what it took and she told us that Greece anybody who's been in their Greek holidays you know it's got many many islands and she says the Nazis discovered there was one elderly Jewish man living in a little island in Greece he had no family he had no relatives He was on his own as a Jew. And it was several hours to get there and several hours to get back, so they had to make a decision. Can we be bothered to sail a boat several hours there and several hours back again in the middle of the war for one Jew? And they said, yes, we can be bothered. And they took that boat several hours and got that little Jewish man and brought him back and put him on a train to Auschwitz to be murdered and gassed. Just one person. But our God knows where just one person is. <laughs> he knows where every single one of them are right now because he's got his eye on them. And then finally, Jeremiah 23, 3, 5, and 6. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I've driven them, Bring them back to their foes, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. Who's that king? King Jesus. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And his days, in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now is Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. 
One day, sooner rather than later, the Lord is going to come back. And he's not going to come back to London or Paris or New York. He's going to come back to Jerusalem. His feet left the Mount of Olives. His feet will return to the Mount of Olives. And one day, they will recognize him whom they have pierced, the Bible says. And one day, they will accept Jesus as their Messiah. Yes, there are thousands today who have, but one day all Israel will be saved. And so it's very, very important that we know the situation. Tonight, God willing, and I hope that you don't miss it if you can, because I want to go into a little bit more about the question of the Palestinians and Israel. It's a thorny, thorny issue. Many sides have been taken, even within the church. So we need to have a look at that. Who are the Palestinians? Where did they come from? Are their claims legitimate? Is Israel too harsh? All of these things. And secondly, and probably much more importantly, the question of the Christian and Israel. What's our stand? What do we believe? What should we do? How should we think? Where are we in all of this? Because a large portion of the church, again, believes in replacement theology. That Israel is just another nation. The Jews are just another people that God has long finished with them. God's only interest is the church today. That's what's being taught and has been for many years. Did you know that Martin Luther and his later years became such an anti-Semite. You know, Hitler even quoted him. I mean, this is one of the greatest church leaders in Europe. This is the man who formed the, Re the Reformation. Uh, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for the Reformation. And yet, in his later years, he became very, very anti-Semitic. And his, he wrote a letter to the princes in Germany and said, burn them out burn their synagogues, drive them out from the midst. And that's exactly what Hitler did. And he felt he had the back of the church to do it. And so the church has got a real problem when it comes to Israel. So we need to know what is the problem. How do we handle this? What do we say? Where are we in it? What's our opinion? Well, God willing, I'll do that tonight and show you tonight. I don't know how far I'm going to take this, probably no more than maybe next, maybe even just next Sunday morning, I'm not sure. But there's some things that you absolutely need to know. Absolutely need to know. Because this is not going away. This is going to get worse. This is going to be getting greater. This is going to be more on the news than it's ever been. So we need to know as believers where we stand in all of this. Because we're going to be asked at some point to make a stand. I'll talk tonight a bit about the boycotts that's going on all over the world. Do you know that Ireland is one of the worst offenders for the boycotting against Israel? One of the worst. Why is that? Why is there so many against Israel? It's a spiritual problem. Yes, it manifests politically and all that, but it says deep down it's a spiritual problem. 
And we need to know that in order to deal with it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, help us to be wise when it comes to your people Israel. Help us to know, Lord, your plans and purposes. Help us to know, Lord, that they're redemptive people. And Lord, you've used them in the past and you will use them in the future. Help us to know our part in their future. Our part in their prophetic future. So that we may fully play it. So we give you thanks. And even though, Lord, as a nation of people, they're secular and many of them are ungodly. The city of Tel Aviv is a sinful city. But Lord, you never have negated your promises to them. And Lord, your promises will be fulfilled. So we give you thanks for that. Lord, that encourages us for the promises that perhaps you have made to each of us. We can trust you, Lord. We can count on your word. And so we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.